Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. Focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette and today I'm chatting to Tim Fall. He's a California Superior Court judge who's written a book called Running for Judge, which covers his struggle with anxiety and depression. We're going to be chatting about courtroom drama and finding a balance. I'm a trial court judge in California. And in the United States, we have different court systems. There's the federal courts, which handle all of the national things. And then there are the various state court systems. And every state has one. And they're all different. So here I am in California, and I'm a trial court judge. So I have all the things that go on in court uh, before anybody wants to take it up on appeal. A typical day for me, uh, this morning I had uh, almost 20 people uh, charged with various crimes, uh, misdemeanors, felonies, uh, homicides, shoplifting, everything you could think of. And we did a lot of hearings this morning. And then uh, this afternoon, I'll have some longer hearings with a few of those same people, uh, three different ones, a couple hours worth of hearings this afternoon. Uh, that's what I do this week. And the next week I'll be in trial or I would be if it weren't for the Omicron surge. And that has put a damper on us trying to get jury trials going uh, in our courthouse. Yeah, it must have really disrupted. Um, well, it's disrupted everyone's sort of life and work the past couple of years, but it must have really sort of thrown things out a bit. Yeah, we can't justify bringing in um, 50 people or so for jury selection uh, under this uh, public health emergency. So we actually received an emergency order from the Chief Justice of the State Supreme Court 
that allowed us to postpone trials for a brief period. Mm. So moving on um, a bit now to well, the subject of, of your book and what we're chatting about, um, when were you first affected by mental ill health? When I look back on it now, knowing what I do about uh, the symptoms of an anxiety disorder, I would say at least my adult life, uh, if not going back further uh, into adolescence. But certainly uh, I have uh, seen those symptoms uh, since I uh, graduated from law school uh, back in 1987. In California or in the United States in general, we do it a little bit differently than in the uh, British university system where you can get a law degree as an undergraduate. Uh, here, you need an undergraduate degree, and then you go to law school afterwards, much like medical school. So that was 1987, and I started, I would say, noticing now that I look back on it, uh, these types of symptoms in my uh, work life. And uh, then certainly once I got uh, appointed as a judge in 1995. Mm. So how did things progress and how long did it take for you to be properly diagnosed? It took a long time. <laughs> That's a great question. So it progressed. I, I just noticed that, um, you know, things would get to me and I would be easily irritated. And I just wrote it off to being a person who had particular uh, demands for how my courtroom was run. But I, I look back on it now and I realize that this type of particularity and being easily irked, do you say irked in Britain? I can't remember. Oh yeah, we do. Um, yeah, definitely. Okay. Very good. Very good. So I don't need to translate across the Atlantic. Right. <laughs> All right. So easily irked and uh, every once in a while speaking sharply, uh, which we just can't do as judges. We're supposed to be patient and dignified and not uh, speak sharply, except in very rare instances where it's the only way to uh, maintain the appropriate decorum and control of the courtroom. So it wasn't until 1995 um, that I was appointed, and we have to run for re-election for our judgeships in California. So I was appointed because there was an open spot someone had vacated. And the next year uh, was my first election cycle. Uh, no one ran against me. So that gave me six years in office. Uh, then 2002, uh, another election cycle. No one ran against me, gave me another six years. And then in 2008, someone decided to challenge me for my job. And I, I know that seems somewhat odd, probably from a British perspective, that a judge would be challenged in an election. Uh, but that's how we do it here. And uh, someone challenged me. And all of a sudden, uh, anxiety overwhelmed me. And it was a month or two into that process of mounting a re-election campaign that I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Mm. It's interesting, actually, just to hear the differences between the US and the UK way of doing things, because it's, as far as I know, it's not really a political thing at all over here. Um, but it sounds like there's a political element to it. Um, in the U.S. Right. We are called a non-political office uh, because um, party politics can't enter into it in California, um, even though we go through the uh, small p political process of elections uh, to keep the positions. Yeah, that oh, was fascinating. 
Um, at what point did you realise then that it was, because it sounds like the, the initial things that you were struggling with could have been diagnosed as stress because, you know, it was really difficult, you know, a lot of work. And, and, you know, sometimes when people are sort of easily irked, have a short temper, people will say, oh, is it, you know, you've got a lot of stress. At what point did you realise it was, it wasn't just um, heavy workload or, or stress and that it was actually um, anxiety and um, depression? Well, I was fooled by the um, it's just stress aspect as well. Uh, a few years after I became a judge, I was leaving a committee meeting uh, just outside of San Francisco, uh, about an hour and a half, two hours from where my courthouse is in California. And uh, as I came out of the meeting, the judicial branch here in California runs itself. So all the judges serve on these committees. And I'm coming out of the meeting. I sit in my car to drive home. And as soon as I sat down, the left side of my body goes numb, uh, particularly my left arm and upper left chest. Uh, And my first thought, of course, was I'm having a heart attack. Uh, And then I thought, well, maybe a stroke. Uh, Who knows? And I sat there for a bit and the numbness uh, receded. And I thought, well, maybe I'll try driving home, which would not have been a smart choice if I had asked myself for advice, but I did it anyway. And as I drove home, the numbness completely went away, got home, called my doctor's office. He said, get in tomorrow morning, uh, first thing. And I did. Uh, And he told me it was stress uh, that had put me in that position. And so I just thought, okay, my job has a lot of stress, I guess. Um, And he told me one thing about having a job like mine is that uh, we're under stress all the time. Uh, And it's true, judges, not just the stress of carrying out the responsibilities, which are huge, but we also have the added stress that some other jobs don't have of uh, what's called bystander trauma or secondary trauma, because we're always hearing in detail about traumatic events that other people have experienced. And they come to the courthouse and they give their testimony or make their statements. And I hear it in explicit detail. Uh, You know, if a person is in the witness stand and is asked the question, um, were you sexually assaulted? The response is not yes. And then we move on to another line of questioning. It's yes. And then we spend a long time hearing about that assault. Uh, And I've had that go on for sometimes well over a day worth of testimony. So for the person who experienced that, of course, they have the, the primary stress and, uh, and anxiety and trauma that they are dealing with and all of that. And that is something that I'm sure is overwhelming uh, and much more than what I experience. For me, I have the secondary stress that goes with that of hearing it, but I hear it all the time because I'm always in the courtroom hearing these things. And the thing about secondary stress is you don't hear it and then it goes away. And when you hear it again, you start at zero. You, you hear it. And it builds, and then you hear it again, and it builds up more, and you hear it again, and it builds up more. So that's where all that stress comes in. And then I got challenged for election, and I was completely thrown for a loop because it took all of that and then just hit me with a whammy of somebody wants to take my job away from me. I've never experienced this before. What do I do? It does sound like a real weight, <clears throat> what you're talking about, and it must give you, I don't know, do you find it easier to to have a kind of balanced view of humanity? Because you, you, if you're always sort of hearing kind of the negative, it must be, I can see how that could be quite hard. We do 
uh, have some lighter moments in uh, in the courtroom sometimes, and that's fine. But for the most part, people who come in are in the courthouse because something awful has gone on. Uh, you know, they have been in a car accident and they're suing somebody perhaps for personal injury or they're being sued uh, or they're charged with a crime or they're the victim of a crime or they're in a family that is falling apart and you're looking at uh, child custody orders uh, or it's a business dispute and partners who thought they were going to work together forever now find that they're at each other's throats. And these are the types of things that we deal with in my courthouse. We're called a court of general jurisdiction, meaning all of those types of cases are the types that I can hear. Uh, presently, my main assignment is criminal, but I've done family law and probate and civil and criminal and everything else there is here uh, to do over the last 27 years. Hmm. It's really interesting because I think we do well naturally sort of think about um, victims in court situations, how difficult it must be for them to sort of relive traumatic incidents and, and try to get justice and, and do all that side of things. But we don't really think about, as you've said, the people hearing about it day in, day out. And I guess that must be quite stressful for lawyers as well as judges and other people just working in the courtroom, the various um, administrators. Right. The secondary trauma thing that we have um, experienced as judges is something that is commonly uh, looked at when it comes to what we refer to as first responders uh, here. So police, firefighters, paramedics are constantly barraged with secondary trauma. And uh, it's becoming recognized as something that needs to be dealt with among those professions as well. Now, you asked about my um, diagnosis. <laughs> so there, there I was. Uh, I was challenged for re-election. I started feeling uh, the overwhelming anxiety immediately. Uh, I wasn't sleeping. Uh, I wasn't eating. I lost 30 plus pounds over the five month reelection campaign. Um, and I would wake at midnight with racing thoughts. And that's how I would lie in my bed then until dawn. Um, I was feeling agitated. I had uh, episodes of depression. And uh, on top of all of that, about a month into this process, I came down with pneumonia which just laid me out physically as well, uh, even more physically than uh, the anxiety did because anxiety has physical components too. And I ended up uh, not uh, being able to go back to work because of the pneumonia and also not being able, of course, to mount a full-fledged campaign because of the pneumonia. And that's not a great way to start off a re-election campaign, of course, and it adds to the anxiety. And it's, it's not uncommon um, for the sort of physical side of things to, to time with the mental health side. I mean, as you said, you described before the um, way that you, was it the side of your face sort of shut down and that was kind of linked to stress and perhaps even the pneumonia was kind of linked to the stress as well. Um, we've had a few people on the podcast talking about the physical symptoms of anxiety and depression. And I think some people can be quite surprised when they hear about that, about that because I think they think that the two things are very separate, you know, stuff going on in the mind and stuff going on in the body. But actually, it's, you know, it's all linked, really. Sure. And I and I avoid talking about it as uh, what's going on in my mind, uh, because that's an amorphous concept. But I, I talk about it as what's going on in a person's brain, the, the brain structure and the brain chemistry and the brain electrical impulses are what are going wrong uh, when you have clinical anxiety and anxiety and stress 
will affect your immune system, which I think is why I came down with pneumonia. Only time I've ever had it was during that period. And uh, it also, though, even if it doesn't lead to an illness like pneumonia, uh, anxiety has physical manifestations to it. Uh, it. It actually affects your entire body, uh, not just how your thought processes are going. Mm. Did you suffer with panic attacks or anything like that? You know, I, I've had one panic attack, and that was way back when I was um, in college or what you would refer to as university. Um, the uh, panic attack only happened the one time, uh, and it was in the middle of a final examination for algebra. Um, I ended up passing the class somehow <laughs> anyway, but I did have that one. Uh, but panic attacks are not generally uh, something that is associated with my particular anxiety disorder, generalized anxiety disorder with depressive episodes is what my doctor called it back in 2008. Hmm. Can you tell us a bit about um, telling your colleagues about uh, what was happening with your depression and anxiety? Did you feel, especially initially, that you needed to keep it sort of private um, or did you want to be open about it fairly sort of straight away? Well, nobody knew about it for about 10 years, mm. except uh, my doctor and my wife. That's so common. Yes. But, yeah. And then I started having conversations with people who were talking about um, their own anxiety or mental health issues. And I would join in those conversations and say, and I also uh, have this diagnosis. And we started having those conversations in uh, safe settings. And then the more I thought about that, the more I thought uh, maybe my experience would be something that could be helpful. So in 2019, I decided to write a memoir and uh, talk about the re-election campaign in 2008, uh, but using it as a framework to actually talk about mental health and mental illness and anxiety. So I wrote the book. Uh, I didn't know that it was going to uh, end up finding a publisher, but it did. And the publishing, uh, actually, that timing was interesting because 2008, I ran for re-election. Here's the spoiler alert. I won. Uh, I'm still a judge. Uh, and then 2014 was my next cycle. No one challenged me. And then I had another one coming up in 2020. And my publisher actually put the publication date before that election period. So if somebody wanted to run against me and use my mental health issues against me, they could have. Uh, happily, no one did. Uh, but I thought, you know, I can either tell my publisher, no, we're going to delay publication. Uh, or I'm just going to let it go according to their schedule. And I decided to do that because I also thought this is more important uh, to get this conversation going than to worry about whether it's going to be uh, a, an issue that might prompt someone to run against me one again, once again. Mm, absolutely. So the book's called Running for Judge. And so it covers um, that sort of the work you were doing during that time and yeah, the, the re-election, but also your struggle with anxiety and depression. What are your main hopes for the book? I wrote it as a mental health memoir. Uh, but if somebody wants to learn about uh, judging in California, they should read the book too, because uh, there's a lot in there about that. Uh, what a judge does, how to become a judge, uh, that sort of thing. And there's some funny stories in there too. But the um, 
purpose of the book, uh, you note that the subtitle of Running for Judge is Campaigning on the Trail of Despair, Deliverance, and Overwhelming Success. And what I want people to get out of it is the encouragement that if they have anxiety or depression or another mental illness, that diagnosis does not disqualify someone from having a full, uh, successful career, uh, successful family life, uh, friends, uh, pursuing interests, also encouraging people get some help. I did uh, medication, uh, medical care, my family, uh, my church, friends. Uh, these were uh, help that I needed, and I encourage people to pursue that. And I also wrote it for people who don't have a disorder, but could stand to learn more about it, either because of friends or family they want to come alongside or just because they need to learn. You know, in the United States, uh, our rate of anxiety and depression or both is 25% of the population. Uh, and that is they will have, have had, or presently do have anxiety, depression, or both. And that's one in four. So anybody who I might talk to who would say, well, I don't know anybody with a mental illness. I'm just thinking you do, you just don't realize it. And it's important uh, that people realize this. It's important we talk about mental illness the same way we talk about any other health issue. Um, you know, you, you can't see someone's diabetes, but they still have it and uh, it affects their body. Uh, you can't see how someone's brain might be misfiring. Uh, you may not even recognize that that's where their behaviors are coming from, uh, but it's still happening. You know, I had a lot of friends who, after I uh, wrote the book and it got published, told me, uh, we had no idea that that's what you were going through at that time. Because, you know, you can mask these things and not let it be seen. But, you know, why? <laughs> if you need the help, go ahead and let it be seen. Um, you know, there's a lot of stigma attached to mental illness. And there are people, a, a couple that uh, I've heard from, uh, and uh, none of them, well, I shan't say that. Uh, one actually said it to me directly. A couple others I heard from secondhand, but they would say things like, a judge should not admit a mental health diagnosis. That's improper. How dare you sully the office of judge by admitting this to people? And I just think, well, that's exactly why we need to have this uh, discussion, because that stigma is nuts. Why do that? It, this doesn't disqualify me from my job. I've actually gotten emails and phone calls from other judges who have thanked me for uh, opening up this discussion and have admitted that they, too, have struggled with this. And they are good judges. Uh, we've got 1,700 judges in California. So statistically speaking, what is that? Uh, about 400 of them. Uh, have had, uh, will have, or presently do have anxiety, depression, or both. Uh, you know, that doesn't mean that 25% of the California judiciary is disqualified. Not at all. Mm. Well, absolutely. I, mean, I think people in all professions, people from all walks of life, people from all backgrounds are affected by mental illness. But certainly, I think um, people in high profile, you know, really top jobs like yours, it can be very difficult to be open about mental health I suppose another similar one might be um, doctors I mean I think it's sort of common knowledge that you know some of them do suffer with mental health but I think it's hard for them to be open about it um, right could you imagine yeah. uh, if um, 
I don't know, let's say a, a school teacher thought that their job would be on the line uh, if they admitted that they have depression or that they're managing depression mm. or that they've had depression, but they've got it well under control. Uh, and I think that still happens in Western societies that uh, you can uh, find that people are looking at you as if you have some sort of deficiency uh, from life, doing your job and other things uh, you know, school teachers, uh, physicians, um, journalists, uh, it, it, the list goes on. There's a lot of people out there doing things that uh, others might say, well, you've got that condition. You shouldn't do that. Maybe even parenthood, right? Like, mm. how could you be a parent if you have a mental illness? What do you think you're doing? Uh, okay, mm. sure. And then 25% of the population shouldn't be parents. That, that doesn't make any sense. No, of course it doesn't. Um, but looking at things from kind of, I suppose, the other side of the coin with that, did you ever feel that you might have to throw in the towel with your career for the sake of your men mental health? So not to think that, you know, you... Can you see what I mean? Did it did it ever get yes. so hard that you thought, well, maybe it's going to have to be one thing or the other? Right. And certainly uh, that is something that uh, I have considered as um, will this ever get to the point where I would need to um, sacrifice pursuing my career in order to preserve my health? Um, and, mm. you know, happily, uh, I have a very good doctor. Uh, a different one now uh, than the one who was with me in 2008, but they are both excellent. And, you know, they have helped me to manage this as a health issue, just like my cardiologist uh, tells me what to do about high cholesterol, uh, you know, and, and people, you know, there are still some, I got to tell you, Yvette, they're going to say things like, well, mental illness is all in your head, to which I respond, and a heart attack is all in your chest, but go see a doctor either way because they're medical yeah. issues. So don't ignore it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what have you found helpful in terms of managing um, your anxiety and depression? There are a number of things, uh, some of which uh, would uh, work for other people perhaps that haven't worked for me and some that have worked for me and might not work for others. But for me, uh, exercise. Uh, I exercise uh, six days a week. Um, and uh, if people are wondering, well, what kind of exercise? I do anything. <laughs> Go for a walk, uh, lift some weights at the gym, uh, you know, get on a bike, whatever. Uh, for me, I, I run a couple of days a week, um, do six miles with my wife. Um, she runs further. She kind of drops me off at home and then keeps going for another four to five miles. Um, I, I lift weights uh, three days a week. I um, uh, do a... Uh, what's called a high intensity workout with my wife one day a week. Uh, she's a coach and trainer. So I have a built-in private trainer aspect going there. Oh, um, that's great. So I, <laughs> so I do you. that exercise. Um, I try to eat right and keep the weight down. Um, although I got to tell you, I love eating. That was one of the worst things about going through the 2008 campaign is I lost my appetite. I almost would say that I lost my will to eat which was so surprising because I love food. Man, do I love food. Uh, and so uh, trying to eat right, exercise, uh, my faith. I, I spend time uh, in prayer and I uh, keep uh, 
the uh, the Bible at my bedside and read uh, daily. I um, would say that uh, the healthcare side of things, the the medication and staying in close contact with my doctor, is very important. Um, you know, I've I've had people tell me, uh, so they've got you on medication. I see that you bought into that uh, baloney about uh, medication actually working for mental illness. <laughs> I just think. Okay, I don't know where you got your medical degree, but I can tell you that I took the medication and it worked. So uh, that's why I think that's a good course for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always been very sort of pro the med side of things. I remember I was very depressed a while back and went on medication, and my mum said she felt that they'd given her her daughter back, uh-huh. which is looking back, I can see that really because I was in a really bad way. And now I'm on long-term mood stabilizers, and I just don't think about it at all. It's just, right. I don't know, in the same way that some people might have to take heart medication sure. or, you know, they have an asthma inhaler or something. It's not even, it's not even a thing really anymore. Um, but it sounds like you're managing it really well now. But can can your work still kind of affect things? I suppose one of the questions I wanted to ask, because it's such an interesting job you do, Um how can your work affect your mental health and what kind of boundaries um, have you put in place to stay well? Cause I can imagine you must have some really tough days at work. Sometimes are there any sort of ways that you've sort of worked out to kind of decompress afterwards, if that's the right word, do you, do you see what I mean? Yes. Yeah. There are a few things that I do. One is knowing more about uh, my diagnosis and the symptoms that go along with it helps me to recognize it. Uh, when I see something rearing up, like uh, extreme tension, um, starting to feel uh, overly irritated at things that should not be that irritating, generally, that type of thing. Um, just something as simple as my leg, um, you know, tapping the heel uh, rapidly uh, as I'm sitting there at the bench and realizing, wait, I must be agitated. Look at what my leg is doing right now. Uh, so those types of things and recognizing them, you know, one of the great things about being a judge, and I, I actually teach uh, judicial education in California and have for a long time. Uh, one of the things that we tell judges is don't be shy about calling for a recess. Uh, we can do that. Uh, I can call for a recess even if I just came off of one five minutes earlier. I can say we're going to take a break and uh, it's good to step off the bench. Um, I remember years ago, I was doing a family law matter. It was a custody hearing, and it was with some facts that were very um, stressful and wearing and what this family was going through and how the parents were not agreeing as to what should happen with the child. And it was just full of hearing all of these awful things that people were saying about each other. So at one point, I took a break. Uh, just a normal one. Uh, And I went back to my office and uh, called my wife. And it was (laughs) mid-morning. She picks up the phone. She says, "Um, what's going on? You don't usually call me at this time. And I said, I just need to talk to somebody whose marriage isn't going down the tubes. And she said, well, you called the right place. (laughs) To which I was uh, very grateful. (laughs) But it's that type of thing uh, where you know, have a support. And the other thing about judges is we can always go down and catch another judge uh, in their office. If they're not on the bench, it's completely expected that 
Uh, if I'm sitting in my office and another judge walks in and says, do you have a minute? It's completely expected that my only response is yes, what's, ha- what's happening. And maybe they just want to chat or maybe there's something going on that they need to talk to me about. So I do that with other judges too. Can that lead on to my final question? I'm sorry. I wish we could chat for much longer because it's been so fascinating talking to you about your job and, and your experiences, but um Unfortunately, we have to wrap up. But I think finally, I'd like like to ask you, um, what would you say to anyone who's in a high profile, high stress job like yourself when it comes to taking care of themselves and their mental health? First is that when you're feeling the worst of it, that is a moment that is not permanent. It will get better. Uh, I would also say, don't let your responsibilities overshadow uh, your ultimate responsibility, which is to make sure that you're going to be there to do the job the next day and the day after and the day after. Uh, So if you need a break, if you need help, then get it so that you can continue carrying out these big responsibilities. And whether it's a job or family obligations or whatever it may be, Make sure that you are taking care of yourself and getting the help that you need because the help is out there and it really is helpful. So this is goodbye from Mentally Yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from Mentally, 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 Mentally Yours. Mentally Yours. Mentally Yours. Mentally yours. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today, you can give the Samaritans and Ring on 116123. If you like Mentally Yours, you can also find us on Twitter. We're at MentallyYRS. We also have a lovely Facebook group, which is just called Mentally Yours. And if you really liked us, you could do us a massive favour and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's much appreciated. Uh, helps us, you know, continue doing what we're doing. So please do rate and review and check back in next week for more Mentally Yours. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.